Kylie Broderick, Managing Editor of Jedalia Ezine. With me is Omar Shanti, who won the Young Writers Prize sponsored by the Med Research Project, which is primarily funded by the European Commission's Horizon 2020 program. Omar spoke about his winning paper entitled El Haraga Read Through Maghrabi Literary Production at MedReset's conference in March 2019. I'm speaking with him today to talk about MedReset, the lessons of his own research, and the implications for further exploration into the topic of Maghrebi migration into Europe and the European Union. Welcome, Omar. Hello, Kali. To start off, could you describe your own background, your paper, and what drew you to this topic? Sure. I was born to Palestinian parents and raised between London and the Middle East. I came to the U.S. for university, where I attended Northwestern University and did a dual degree program, getting a Bachelor of Arts in Economics and MENA, as well as a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. During my undergraduate coursework, I had the good fortune to take a course <clears throat> entitled Porous Borders with Professor Emra Yildiz. In the course, he challenged us to think about migration and bordering in radically new ways. And one of the first modalities of migration that sprung to mind was the Maghribi Haraga. The reason being, um, growing up, I had obviously experienced a lot of Maghribi music because it proliferated as part of the Arab world. So the likes of Shab Khalid and Fawdel, all the way down to Rashid Taha. And each of these songs are imbued with very heavily political significance, which as I grew older and began to analyze, became my point of entry into the Maghrib. And as one reads post-colonial studies from the likes of Fernand de Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir, even Jean Genet, the Maghrib is a pretty much of the field is in fact built off of the Maghrib. Um, and my paper in particular draws upon the haraga read through literary production. So it puts together theory, literature, and global events in communication with one another to glimpse at the Maghrib's own evolving cultural self-understanding of the phenomena. And at a time where migration is drastically um, important in the sense of migrants risking their lives on this perilous journey, as well as populist isolationist movements taking the figure of the migrant and distorting them towards political ends. I think this kind of cultural analysis attains a certain importance. Could you tell me how you came across the Young Writers Prize and uh, perhaps how it contributed productively to your work and research? I have been a, lo a long subscriber of Jadaliya and the work of the Arab Studies Institute. And perhaps scrolling through Twitter, I believe, I saw the call for papers of the Young Writers' Prize. And being that it was focused on the Mediterranean, I thought my own current work that I was doing at the time being this paper would fit nicely with that. And so I submitted my paper. Eventually, I learned that my paper was shortlisted and then that I had won the award. Um, and once it had won, I was given feedback on the essay and a chance to implement some remarks. And in that brief period of that two-week period, I was able to take the essay to another the arguments that I'd wished to within it. I was able to make it richer, expand on the literary analysis. And in a sense, I was able to answer the questions that 
I hadn't had the avenue or the medium to before. So it definitely encouraged me to be more strenuous in my research and come up with an artifact that was far richer. Uh, could you kind of detail what process and methods you went through to accomplish this research? Sure. My first decision was to analyze fiction, um, and I did this for a few reasons. Firstly, fiction as a work of art provides the author with certain freedoms that other empirical studies or surveys can't quite offer. I like to think of this dynamic as the author as prime mover, in the sense that on some level, it's the author who stages the venue of the conversation. Um, they select the medium in fiction, the, word, the world that resides within it, being the setting, each of the characters, as well as um, the stories and the symbols that they want this world to contain. That's pretty absent from other forms of empirical studies and dealing with the cultural phenomena like this, I believe that dynamic is rather essential. And moreover, in some respects, literary criticisms can perhaps be easier digested by larger audiences, as opposed to those of song, visual art, or so on. Just uh, the notion of a narrative can for many be easier to digest. And then, having decided to do fiction, the three works that I chose to analyze were Yusuf Amin al-Alami's Sea Drinkers, Layla al-Alami's Hope and Other Dangerous Pursuits, and Bu'alim Sansal's Haraka. All three are recent in that they were published within the last 20 years, but are each unique in a certain regard. The first is a novella, the second is written by a female author, and the third is written by an Algerian and based in Algeria. I wanted to take a, a more inclusive sample of recent Maghrebi fiction, and so I sought to include different forms of genre as well as different demographic backgrounds, hence the selection. Are you hoping to continue this research, maybe by incorporating oral histories or anthropological elements that explore the, the realities of how this fiction um, you know, reflects in the communities of Haraga? Absolutely. Um, but I think that we would need to introduce that almost as a separate follow-up to this, in the sense I'd hope for this to be, or, or rather, no, in the sense of anthropological studies of oral history, certainly. Um, one other element that I, one other genre or form of expression that I commonly look at is Algerian dry music, which is imbued with so much. I opened the essay with a quote from the late Dahman Harashi's song, Ya Raya, which is a song about wretchedness of exile, about El Ghurba, um, the wretchedness of being away from home, essentially. And there's a very long tradition of the same themes, or themes relevant to migration, rather, in Algerian music, including the precursors to Rai, known as Shabi and um, and some other genres. Um, that would be my immediate step, and I do indeed hope to continue this research. So delving more into this current iteration of research, uh, could you perhaps give us a brief history of the Haraga migration since the 1970s, which you mentioned in your paper is kind of where it reached its zeitgeist? Absolutely. Uh, I'd like to also consider the what I consider the important context for the Haraga, which is um, the configurations of global capital in the post-colonial world, 
which arguably has, until recently, maintained the same unidirectional dynamic of dependency from colony to metropole, albeit in economic rather than legal articulation. And in the case of the Haraga specifically, this dependency has a pretty easy to follow elaboration. Um, from the early 20th century, France as the main colonizer within the Maghrib employed its colonial subjects in its domestic industry. And the demand for labor grew heavily in the aftermath of both world wars. Maghribi labor was crucial to reconstructing Europe during that time period. Soon thereafter, Maghribi migration proliferated to other Western European countries. And with this increased penetration of the Maghribi migrants within the European market, there came further dependency on remittances. And in fact, the, the Maghribi governments would promote this policy as a way to alleviate the demands on social services, including ranging from education to infrastructure to hospitals and so on and so forth. Um, so all of this is the context in which in 1974, French government began to cut off migration. Um, in many accounts, this is linked directly to the oil crisis of the previous year. Um, and in that moment, the Maghribi population was faced with a domestic economy that didn't have the ability to provide for them, as well as a government that couldn't represent them, or rather perhaps chose not to represent them. And just across the sea, a European economy set of economies that didn't want them. So many took to smuggling into Europe, either via Spain from Tangier or via Italy from Tunis. And then post-1986, with Spain's accession into the EU, it itself became a destination, which is where one of the most popular, one of the contemporarily most popular accounts of Haraga comes from, being Moroccan or Maghribi migration into Spain to work in either Barcelona or Madrid. Um, that really came into fold post-1986. And since then, the, the perils of the journey have claimed many lives, and uh, the wretchedness that awaits on the other side has led to immense feelings of estrangement and only furthered the human cost of this migratory journey. And the, the statistics, one that I mentioned in my paper, is that um, from, I believe, 2008 until 2018, the figure that have lost their lives on this journey is, if I could just pull that up, um, over 135,000 migrants. And so incredibly perilous journey with immense cultural, economical, political, as well as existential consequences. So I guess this engenders the question of how or whether it is unique in the Maghrebi migration situation in comparison to other modalities of migration in the region, meaning the Middle East and North Africa, or um, if it has parallels in other situations across the world with migration crises. In the case of the Middle East and North Africa, I would argue that it is unique as 10 that the Maghrebi migratory phenomenon, as the Haraga entails, a 
broad, diverse segment of the population exiting the country by sea, crossing into Europe. Um, that's not mirrored necessarily anywhere else. Although migration between bordering nations does happen, there isn't the drastic divide between the two states, which one is migrating from, that's necessarily frequented across many other routes. Um, and indeed, the Maghribi own evolving understanding of the Haraga is unique in the sense that it's been likened to a bathtub that has sprung a leak or a mother that cannot take care of its son or all sorts of different metaphors um, capturing the inability of the Maghrib to maintain and its ability, conversely, only to repulse the people within it. Um, in, the, in the recent migration crisis, most have been fleeing either war or immediate danger at home rather than a state of relative tranquility in, a, in the conflict sense in the Maghrib. Now, connecting it, connecting it to global pattern of migration, there is a parallel between the Maghrib as a destination, specifically Morocco as well as Tunisia, um, as destinations of departure and destinations of crossing from the third world into the first world with the US's southwest border, where Mexico has also emerged as a similar state, a point of crossing. And um, one of the interesting aspects that both share is that Sorry. One of the interesting aspects that both locations share is that they're both destinations in and of themselves for migration from other nations. So Mexico and the northern coast of Mexico becomes a destination for folks from all other countries, similar to how Morocco becomes a destination for folks from all other um, countries, predominantly sub-Saharan countries, as well as some Middle Eastern. And as such, this is indeed represented in the fiction with new forms of languages spoken in the works, as well as characters from non-Maghribi backgrounds. Um, the difference, however, lies in the fact that in one case, you need to cross an ocean as opposed to a direct land barrier, a land border rather with the US. Um, and with the, in the US case on the Southwest border, the, the immigrants must cross the a very severe desert, just as in the Maghribi case, the migrants must cross an ocean. Um, so there, there certainly are some similarities and differences. Both must brave incredible natural terrain, as well as a gap between the first and essentially the third world. So one of your central themes is what you call, quote unquote, emigration, immigration, and clandestinity. Could you explain what this means kind of in the context of the Haraga migration, and could you also touch on your conceptualization of the Mahrug and the Inharag uh, and the networks of actors that influence migration? The concept of clandestine migration as a term masks the many intricate processes that go into it. And in my paper, I wanted to expand the argument and unpack that term into three distinct sub-processes, which I call emigration, immigration, and clandestinity. Emigration as a departure from the here, a repulsion from Morocco, only requires 
an initial location to be repulsed from and is built on negativity. Immigration, on the other hand, requires a there, a point to arrive to, and is built on positive articulation. You must identify a there to arrive at a location. In the case specifically of the haraga, emigration refers to the process of leaving, of departing. Um, that entails extricating yourself from your social network and essentially severing your ties to the nation, albeit in physical, uh, in a physical realm. Immigration, however, is the process of arranging the logistical journey to arrive on the shores of Spain. That entails the mental process of analyzing the risk, the social process of raising all of the funds required to go on the journey, and the illegality of the journey. And then clandestinity, once you arrive on the shore, is essentially reflective of the clandestine existential state that awaits you. Uh, an illegal existence that follows you in all of your interactions. Indeed, the border is not crossed once you enter through the shores of Spain, but the border is proliferated through society. And the process of crossing the border is never over so long as the migrant is clandestine. The, the border is embodied in the forms of neighbors, employment, police, and all other social actors which can leverage your own illegality to adverse ends. And that creates an exploitative dynamic which leads to a wretched existence as a clandestine migration, as a clandestine migrant. And then the notion of the mahrug and the inhirag are meant to meant to bypass the, the linguistic um, limitation imposed by the grammar of the term migration. The English term to migrate posits a subject in the migrant and a direct object in the migration without the individual who was migrated from. Um, the Arabic grammar of the term mahrug, of the term haraga, however, requires this. You have the subject, who is the harik, who burns the um, mahrug, and this produces an inhirak. The notion there being that by switching to an Arabic grammar and bypassing conceptual limitations imposed by the term migra uh, migrate, we can articulate the migrant's perennial link to their origin, as well as those who reside within it and also theorize the process of those who remained in losing this member. One way that I like to explain this notion is almost of a spider web, where humans exist in intricate networks, which are either social or economic or political, and where one's relocation necessarily produces a dislocation for all other nodes, just as pulling one ebb of a spider web will shift all of the other ones or tear the strands. This process of interconnectedness and interlinkedness is hidden behind the term migration. And so I want to unpack it with the notion of the mahrug and their inhirak, which is their process of being left.
Could you explain, or maybe theorize, the reasons if or why each actor in this equation, meaning the individual undertaking the migration, European states, and Maghrebi states, are motivated to retain the status quo on this issue, despite, as you've mentioned, the immense human loss? Certainly. Um, the concept of migration, and specifically posited as stemming illegal, as um, putting a stop to illegal migration, has been a major point of diplomacy currently between the EU and the Maghreb, as well as other states that are considered, quote, sending countries. Um, as it has become a major point of diplomacy and a major bargaining chip, indeed, for these, quote, sending states, um, there's an incentive to, to maintain it, to act as though you are attempting to curtail it, while also encouraging the EU or the, the receiving, quote, receiving country to keep sending funds and aid and so on. It's like a, a chicken that lays golden eggs, in a sense, if it weren't for the immense human costs. And in a sense, that really indicates the brutality and the unrepresentative nature of many of the regimes of the Maghrib, which, for the most part, have been repressive, authoritarian, and have quashed civil society. Um, in the case of the European Union, we've seen that within many of the countries, there are multiple isolationist movements, multiple populist isolationist movements that rally the masses behind depictions of the figure of the migrant, migrants that, quote, or, sorry, migrants that are in the country either to spread Islamic civilization or to take jobs of the good, well-meaning citizens or to steal depictions of the migration are used by certain elements of society, which we consider the far right, but are quite more proliferated to establish their own national identity and pit themselves as superior to the inferior migrant. As such, on some level, it's a psychological element as well, just posing by opposition. Um, one can only be posed by opposing, and in opposing oneself against the migrant, one can prop up one's nation, as we see in these rightist isolationist movements. In the case of the individual Maghribi migrant, I wouldn't suggest that the incentive there is necessarily to retain the status quo. Many migrate solely because of the individual circumstances in their own life that have pushed them to the point that they cannot remain any longer. And as a result, I doubt that, or I, I would not suggest that they have the incentive necessarily to maintain the status quo. So one really important concept that you touch on is uh, Ruben Anderson's articulation of the migration of sovereignty that EU's border policing has enabled. What are the implications of the Haraga on the borders of Europe? What we see in the case of Europe, specifically in the case of Spain, has been an increased presence of border policing throughout the Mediterranean region. As such, Europe has essentially encroached and encroached further away from its border, southward and southward towards the shores of the Maghreb to curtail policing. This is the, the migration of sovereignty that Ruben Anderson articulates. And additionally, with this increased policing, increased reach of policing and increased reach of bordering, comes 
a humanitarian discourse which pits all arrested migration as a humanitarian purpose. For instance, migrants are depicted as being saved. Um, in fact, Ruben Anderson has a quote, or he has an idea in his piece that any any boat was seen as a potential life hazard approaching European shores. So under the guise of uh, humanitarian work, the European Union was able to police with total impunity along the southern Mediterranean shore. Um, one other notion that's rather interesting here is in, in, forcing, in forcing the Maghrebis to cross the Mediterranean, the European Union is in a sense recruiting nature as a form of border policing in itself. The, the Mediterranean, for all of its you know, for, for the roughness of its terrain, as well as for the coldness of the water, is itself a an obstacle that migrants must brave if they want to make the journey. And um, recruiting nature in that sense absolves Europe of its responsibility in the case of a migrant ship capsizing because of, um, you know, problems overseas. Because of that, the Europeans also have been able to enforce this, you know, this discourse of uh, the humanitarian mission as essentially saving these migrants and police with more more moral impunity as well. I think your uh, your description of the EU pushing its borders and its sovereignty has a lot of resonance with the, as you said, southwestern border of the United States. With the recent reports that <clears throat> border patrol agents have been, you know, shooting tear tear gas into Mexico, um, more interesting, really interesting parallels. So, as you mentioned in your Young Writers' Prize speech, the opacity of the destination and the lack of its positive assertion reveal that the Haraka are primarily depicted as being repulsed from within. As such, theirs is a journey outward from the Maghreb and not inwards toward Europe. I have two interrelated questions following this quote. Um, first, what are the transformations that one must make in their own lives to be able to conceive of or actualize undertaking the journey? Um, and then also, what myths exist about Europe and the EU that make it a more attractive destination than the places they're immigrating from, considering that they have all kinds of impediments once they arrive, which I'm sure they're aware of, uh, having to live clandestine lives and other sorts of barriers? Certainly. Um, the negotiation of leaving the country uh, and the transformations that that entails typically happens across multiple dimensions. And two sources of flight that I have identified as commonalities between the books are as follows. The first is male immigration in response to unemployment and the multidimensional forms that all, the multidimensional forms of consequences that unemployment brings with it in the Maghribi context. Um, and the second, which I'll touch on after, is females fleeing gender-based violence. In the first case of males fleeing unemployment, contrary to the reduction, re reductive depictions we see of, quote, economic migrants, um, Maghribis are fleeing for psychological, social, familial, and even existential reasons. Um, 
some migrants are fleeing because without work, you are trapped in a stillness of life that takes away one's own subjectivity, essentially, and reduces them to an object incapable of progress or movement, trapped in an ennui, a stillness of life. Um, and that has severe psychological effects. So in, in each of the three works, we see severe psychological trauma of people who are reduced to shells of themselves prior due to the, the stillness of life imposed by unemployment. Um, secondly, the familial and the social restrictions on movement caused by unemployment. Um, we meet character who is unable to attain any meaningful position within his family structure and is pushed out to the symbolic margins due to his unemployment. As such, unemployment, the, the, the absence or the expulsion from the labor market breeds an expulsion from mobility which breeds an expulsion from progress, and that leads to an expulsion from humanity, in a sense. Um, in the case of the family structure, you are pushed to the migrants of the family in the social structure. It is difficult to have any form of mobility, and you take to feeling shame and, and negative feelings that isolate you from your peers and make you exit your social networks. Um, so in many sense, unemployment itself breeds all sorts of different flights, a flight from a social space, from a familial space, and even from a psychological space, from subjectivity to, ob to objectivity, in the sense that you become an object. Uh, and the, I, I mentioned the, the psychological traumas when I quote the authors in my work, um, but some sincerely profound psychological trauma. Um, the second case that this commonality is females fleeing from gender-based violence, which happens on a few different fronts. Um, the front of the family, the front of uh, a marriage, so the spouse, as well as the front of community and the front of government, and lastly, the front of religion. Um, and what this really gets at is that the the Algerian author, or sorry, the the Maghrebi fictional authors who have analyzed take the haraga as a means to amplify some of the social criticisms that they have long repressed. One of them being particularly the treatment of the female and the gender-based violence within their societies, coming from figures of the mother, the spouse, and so on and so forth. Um, but in all of these cases, the the decision to leave, to get up and extricate yourself is made separately from the decision to arrive at Spain. And the most well-known case of this is the great Muhammad Bouazizi, whose own self-burning is what launched the Arab Spring, essentially. He is Harik. He is one who must certainly be considered a migrant outward from the Maghrib. Only his destination was never articulated as Europe. His destination was articulated outwards at any cost. And the most appealing destination to him was the quickest to arrive to, which was crossing the boundaries of life. And I believe that's the perfect depiction of the outwards repulsion that 
my concept of emigration hopes to capture. Um, as, as far as the second question about the myths that make the EU and Europe a more attractive destination than others, um, given its presence across the sea, given its mythical status, and just given uh, given the the constant reminder that it's there, characters begin to experience almost obsessive passion to the Middle East as opposed to neighboring sorry to Europe as opposed to say neighboring countries in North Africa or sub-Saharan Africa, in the sense that Europe provides a promised land above the horizon where the problems that you have at home are not there. So in my paper, I explained that one migrates, one migrates not to traverse physical boundaries or cartographical boundaries as such. They don't necessarily migrate only to cross the ocean to arrive on the banks of Spain, but rather they migrate to attain dignity, to attain um, the ability to assert oneself, humanity, virtually existence put another way and whether that comes on the shores of spain north in barcelona east in france through to switzerland through to netherlands that's not the prime question for the migrants instead the migrants look to traverse contours of multiple dimensions of fam familial status social status existential and emotional pathological status and so on and so forth as such their journey is never to europe but through europe away from the maghrib and that's an important context to understand which is why when i say the the destination is you know primarily depicted as being repulsed from the maghrib as opposed to inwards to europe that piece of information is missing from a lot of the accounts within European mainstream media that depict migrants as hell-bent on arriving in Europe specifically. Their journey isn't to Europe, and Europe isn't as important as um, Europe as such is not as important as what it contains within it, being hopes for a quality of life, hopes for movement, and hopes for, in general, progress and mobility. So you kind of already answered this question uh, with the previous one. But I was wondering how the concept of Haraga occupies a particular cultural, political, or psychological space in the Maghreb. For this, I'd like to term Haraga itself, which is a repository of many, many important cultural hints. Um, the term Haraga itself comes from the Arabic root of to burn, um, which is the Ha-Ra-Qa letters. And Indeed, the act of burning itself is applicable on many levels. Um, migrants burn their identification papers so that they may conceal their national identity from authorities while crossing the sea. Migrants suffer a burning desire to migrate. This is the emigration that I was mentioning, where it's a destructive force that just tears away and destroys structures, destroys webs fleeing the migrant, um, extricating the migrant from their situation and allowing them to, to move more freely. Um, on a similar note, the burning of social connections and personal connections 
with the nations on physical dimensions. And lastly, it also encompasses a historical parallelism that the books like to mention rather playfully with um, Tariq ibn Ziyad's burning of his respect, of his and his uh, crew, <laughs> or whatever the appropriate term is, their respective boats in 7-11 when the Moors arrived on the shores of Spain to begin what was to be Andalusia. Uh, so as such, uh, my paper articulate that captures a, a tactic, a pathology, an estrangement, and a historical continuity. And each of these meanings is activated within the works or within multiple different forms of art or even day-to-day -day conversations. Finally, uh, who are considered to be the ultimate benefactors of Haraga migration? One may first assume that it's the migrants themselves. At least that's the way we are shown it in European media, whereby migrants illegally cross the ocean with utter disregard for the laws that await them and so on and so forth. Uh, well, in reality, the migrants suffer lives of incredible malaise and clandestinity that breeds very severe anxieties and fears that are omnipresent in their existence and form an existential state for them. Similarly, it's not, as shown in the fiction, um, any of the family that live back home who receive remittances for, for many of these people, um, who I call the mahrouq. The haraga entails a long, essential, uh, a distance from they who departed, from the haraq. And that distance is never necessarily captured in the meager salary of a clandestine illegal worker in Europe, um, nor in the infrequent visits, nor can that distance be crossed with forms of telecommunications nowadays, however sophisticated they may be. Um, for those that remain at home, as shown in the fiction, the inhirag is always a long, painful process, always underestimated. Um, I believe that the reason that this theme really persists is because of an alignment of interests on the state level. And the state itself, of course, as being comprised of multiple human individual actors, all have benefits or, you know, the state as being comprised of multiple individual actors rather than the state as a monolithic whole um, maintains this. So... I believe that the people who most benefit from the haraga are those who exploit the illegal migration of Maghrebis um, on, the, on, on the shores of Europe and throughout Europe, those who, yeah, those who do it for, towards economic, um, political, cultural, whatever forms or means that they should choose. In fact, we even see in the fiction those who exploit it towards sexual means. And... Um, Additionally, the governments of the Maghrib who have used this as a political bargaining chip rather than implementing forms of change which will, uh, which will curtail this migration and stop repulsing, stop repelling the, the population from its shores.
this again reminds me of the capital benefits of having migration in the U.S. as well, which is, as everyone on the planet probably knows, is a hot debate here in the U.S. But the jobs that migrants take are the hardest jobs, physically speaking. They're paid well enough, but um, they're considered to be a lower class of people with stigmatization that, that involves. Uh, it's an interesting uh, parallel across the world what migrants have to go through um, economically speaking, socially speaking, and politically speaking, when they're in fact taking the jobs that nobody else in a society would necessarily want or even physically be able to do. Certainly. And part of the benefit of this articulation of emigration as lacking a positive assertion and not being built on cartographic lines, but along contours of dignity, um, uh, finance, social and familial land and so on, shows that the migrants are willing to proliferate throughout Europe to fill in jobs almost as water fills in holes in a surface and goes to the areas that need it the most. Um, that kind of depiction contrasts very strongly with the dominant depiction that we're fed of um, these people coming in necessarily to take our jobs. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, to close it up, you spoke earlier in the discussion about your aspirations for this research and for other subsequent research that this could build on. I wanted to ask, what did this MedReset opportunity presented through the EU and the Arab Studies Institute mean to you? This opportunity provided me with an idea to further develop my argument as far as this piece goes, um, to gain a lot of exposure and meet many very clever people who I've formed meaningful connections with, as well as to, um, as well as to gain an insider view on some of the conversations that are happening within the EU, which are incredibly relevant to a topic such as this one, in bridging gaps between two different um, dialogues, one happening on the African shore between the Maghreb, between among the Maghribis, one happening on the Europeans from among Europeans. Um, I think mo most importantly, it provided me with an opportunity to, um, to meet people that inspired me. And that inspiration, as well as the, the individual, individual connections that I made are what are going to keep me within this space working longer and striving to more and more ambitious and larger projects. Um, that and that the experience has been invaluable and specifically the ASI, which gave me the opportunity as well as the feedback and the time and space required to implement some remarks into my essay, helped me arrive at the essay as it is today um, and helped me flesh out these ideas. So. I'm incredibly grateful for the Med Reset program, all of the parties involved, ranging from the ASI to the Instituto Affari Internazionali. And um, this has been an absolutely phenomenal experience. Thanks so much for speaking with me today. Uh, your work has been really, really well received on Jadalia and beyond from what I've seen on Twitter and Facebook. And if anyone is uh, curious about reading about it, uh, they can head over to Jadalia and we'll put a link below. Omar, do you have any final thoughts before we go? No. Thank you very much for this time. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Kylie.
Thanks so much.